Hey, podcast. No, that's not my intro. My intro is welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces podcast, episode 366. And today I'm joined by the returning, the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Adam Buxton. I'm so pleased to, to get Adam back on for a chat. I've been really enjoying his podcast and his ramble book. I got the audiobook version. And both have been an absolute joy in these uh, strange times that we're having. Uh, so it was great to, to, to catch up again with Adam. And I think I enjoyed this chat even more than our first one. Um, so that was that was lovely. If this is your first time listening, I've had Adam on before. I've been on Adam's podcast. Previous guests you might want to check out um, include J- Joe Cornish and Louis Theroux, Nick Frost, Simon Pegg. Who do we mention? We mentioned May Martin in this podcast, so May. Um, Alex Horn we mentioned in this podcast, so Alex. Um, M- Michael Smiley we mentioned briefly he's been on i've basically had everyone on ever so um there's a back catalogue that you can really fill your boots with um adam recently had Stuart lee who was my he was in my first 10 or so guests i think and he's still one of my favorites to this day so it was great to he doesn't seem to do a lot of podcasts i was really pleased to see him on adams so yeah that's what you should go and, and check out i'll ramble more at the end um, so for now, this is episode 300. Oh, I should warn you, actually, I'm doing in February, I'm doing ton, I'm putting out tons of episodes. So on Friday, there's a bonus episode with Asim Chowdhury of the People Just Do Nothing crew. Um, and it's a great one. And I think every week from now, I'm going to do at least two episodes because I've been recording like crazy for you guys. And I've got some really good stuff on its way. So I want you to get as much of it as possible, as quickly as possible, as the bad times seem to keep extending. So I thought I'd just throw loads of good news at you as a beautiful distraction. So this is episode 366 of the Distraction Pieces podcast with Adam Buxton. size of that thing that is a pint I, I love it that's impressive well as as we're both a recording we'll just jump st- st- straight in um i'm joined by adam buxton and you're in your in your lovely um shed space yeah man this is shed one my nutty room i love it is that a luke drod i don't know how to say his surname did luke do the poster up behind you because he did one for me and it's that kind of style they're great aren't they right really good yeah i wonder Maybe it was even you that got me into uh, being connected with Luke. I'm not sure. I say drozed, drozed, but I think that's a bit of an overpronunciation. I think drozed is fine. Drozed. And he does Stuart Lee's <laughs> tour posters, and he, yeah, he's really great. He made a book of all his tour art and poster art. I did a little forward for it. It's fantastic. But yes, as I say, may well be a connection that I got from you, and I keep forgetting as well. That I owe you my whole podcasting existence in many ways. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure I would have made a podcast anyway, but you really facilitated the whole thing. We probably covered this ground the first time we spoke on the podcast, but I'm still very grateful. I remember being incredibly excited on a Christmas night as I was driving back somewhere 
listening to you and Joe do one of your first his his appearances on the on the Adam Buxton podcast, and and I got a. Th- a thank you there, which I wasn't expecting at all. So it's all, it's already ver- very much, um, yeah, paid forward and such. Cool. But, but ha- ha- how are you? How are you in these, in these strange times? Are you spending a lot of time dr- drinking large Carlsbergs in your shed or what's been your norm? Uh, well, it depends what you call a lot of time. I mean, <laughs> I'll have a small Carlsberg most evenings not necessarily carlsberg yeah i'm trying to i found this brand of beer that is quite low alcohol so it's like three percent and it's a small bottle yeah. so i feel as if like oh look at me i'm having a beer and that that satisfies a kind of uh party need in me but it's not much really it's kind of a token gesture and i will usually have that of an evening after everyone's gone to bed and i'll listen to a podcast and play a phone game and just kind of decompress, you know? Yeah. Sometimes if I'm feeling mentally agile, I will listen to some sort of news podcast thing and connect myself to all the miserable shit that's happening in the world. <laughs> yeah. Get some perspective on it. Most nights, though, it's generally something a bit lighter, Atletico Mints or some kind of talking thing. Actually, recently I've been on a music podcast jag. I found some quite good ones. My sister got me into the one about Joy Division and New Order, Transmission. Great. It's kind of documentary podcast series that came out before Christmas in 2020. Really good, really well made. And um, I'm listening to one about the Pixies making their last album. Oh, wow. So that must have been a couple of years ago or something, but I, I wasn't aware of it. I'm a big Pixies fan. But to be honest with you, I, I haven't been following their recent output quite so uh, avidly. I mean, it's often the way, right? You kind of have those 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 bands that you get into as a as a youngster, and then you're happy with that. I don't need any more. Thank you very much. This will do. Yeah, I mean, it's very. I feel disloyal though because when they reformed, I mean, they've reformed a couple of times after Kim Deal, one of the founder members, left, and they drafted in a new bassist who was also female and also sang in a similar sort of way to Kim Deal. Yeah which I think was a bit of an odd decision because Kim Deal was so well-loved. Yeah, Pixies fans were really angry when she left and they kind of blamed the rest of the band for her departure in some way. Yeah, And then they drafted in someone who seemed to be like, oh, well, you know, here's another one. Yeah, This'll do, right? She's a woman, she plays bass, she's got like a high voice and sings harmonies. Yeah, That's how it looked. I don't think that's what was really happening, obviously. So they, the fans got really resentful and when the Pixies recorded new material with that lineup. They got some horrible reviews. Like they got sort of zero in Pitchfork for their comeback album and stuff. And it's like, yeah, okay, it's not like the original stuff, but it was perfectly fine. There was some good stuff on it. Anyway, their more recent album, Here in the Eerie, I think it's called or something from 2018, they recorded this sort of whole series of podcasts with them in the studio making it with yes. some British yeah, yeah, producer yeah. called Tom something or other. And um, it's a really good series, like as a, as a document of what it's like to be in that creative environment and all the little decisions that go into making and recording music and band dynamics. And it's fantastic. I've been enjoying it so much. I need to give it a, a listen. I was told about it before it came out because I was going to have Frank on the podcast to talk about oh, it. Oh, really? But then it fell through because their tour changed or something. But yeah, that sounds absolutely uh, fascinating. Um, particularly if they're going to win 
the 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 reviewers back over Pitchfork gave one of my albums 0.2 out of 10 which is it's like <laughs> come on that's I, I've still never figured out from reading the review what got the 0.2 I think it might have been yeah the the, the artwork maybe but they weren't big fans what did you do to piss them off did you have any idea at all I I'm a stereotypical hipster so I think that 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 made them them feel self-conscious so I, th- I think the initial visual of me kind of put them off slightly a month or so later we were playing a festival um in Chicago right outside the pitchfork offices so in between each song I read previous reviews of theirs things like when they reviewed the first Coldplay album and, s- and said that they're a seminal band and a change in the music industry and things like that. So I, 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 I acted incredibly ch- childish about it. So um, <laughs> I, I feel I got my revenge. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think most of their reviews are written by excitable seven-year-olds, aren't they? So Yeah, but that's absolutely fine. <laughs> um, just or getting onto the Pixies there, I want to talk a load about Ramblebrook. There's loads of things I want to talk about, but one of the things that really touched me in it was it's it, it kind of became a theme of people you idolized liking your dad um yes. <laughs> kind of more than you maybe and it was because again the, the book <laughs> t- t- talks a lot about your relationship with your dad and it's really honest it's a powerful thing but when F- frank black met a, 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 your dad and was just the biggest fan of him and <laughs> you kind of actually this is great because it's my dad that he's enjoying but my dad has no idea of who the pixies are and the work they've done how how was that it was actually great and it was a wonderful moment so basically i'd loved the pixies from quite early on i was a fairly early adopter although i have to admit and i admit in the book that I went and got Surfer Rosa, their first album, <laughs> and found it a bit too frightening. Like I heard it playing in Our Price in um, the King's Road. And I went down there. I thought, oh, this music sounds tough and scary. I'm going to buy it, I think. And I went, excuse me, what's this playing, please? Yeah, Pixies. Um, uh, yes, I'd like to buy it, please. Yes. So I got the cassette, went home, studied it very carefully the booby lady on the front in the flamenco dress, etc. But then the music didn't sound as good as it had in the shop. Have you ever had that? Like when they're playing music in a shop and it's, it makes total sense. Yeah. And you get home and you're not in the shop anymore. And for some reason, the change of environment transforms your relationship with the music. You're like, this is, I, I, no, I didn't sign on for this. Also, I felt as if I had a strong feeling that it was music made by the kind of people that would hate me. Yeah, as a little middle class guy with a pink collarless shirt with a top button done up and bog brush hair, and I just thought, oh no, I think they'd probably beat me up. These people. So combination of just finding the music too aggressive and and off putting, and um, feeling as if they wouldn't like me. I don't know why that was always a big part of the deal for me. It's like, <laughs> would I get on with these people? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I took it back. But then a couple of years later, Here Comes Your Man was in the charts and I went and bought Doolittle and absolutely connected with it. And then I was completely fine, went back, bought Surfer Rosa again and and was on board ever since with them through thick and thin. Even when people started going off them and being snooty about some of their later albums, 
I thought Trump Lamond was amazing. Their last one, I thought it was terrific. Yeah. Anyway, so he was a massive hero of mine, Frank Black or Black Francis or Charles Thompson, which is his real name. And when we started doing our TV show, me and Joe, I just realized, wow, this is an opportunity for us to meet some of our heroes because we were doing this thing, Vinyl Justice, where we would go around to people's houses and go through their record collections. We were dressed up as policemen and we'd go, oh, oh dear me, you've got some, you got some illegal records here. Criminal records. No, that was the joke, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear, look at this. You've got criminal records. <laughs> you can't forget so... the whole basis of the joke and the pun. The, the criminal <laughs> records is a key yeah, exactly. part. That's literally how it's built that from. That was the whole thing. Illegal yeah. records, what? Illegal <laughs> records. <laughs> he says, opening his Carlsberg. And um, and we did it with people like Nick Hayward from Haircut 100, who me and Joe loved, and Marky e. Smith from The Fall, yeah. and Letitia from Stereo Lab, and all these sort of cool people that we'd always wanted to meet. And so we put the call into Frank Black, but the best we could do was grab him while he was on tour with the Catholics, his his post-Pixies band. Mm-hmm. And it must have been around 1997. So we couldn't really do vinyl justice because he didn't have all his records and everything. And instead, we just came up with the idea of sitting him down with my dad. And so he turned up to Joe's flat. Joe had a flat in Clerkenwell. And uh, suddenly there's Frank Black in Joe's flat. It was so weird and surreal. And he was all smart. He had a, he had a suit on and my dad didn't know what to make of it. You know, my dad was like, yeah, whatever. He sort of did whatever we asked him to. Yeah. He was a good sport. And we sat them down. And I think in my head I thought, well, maybe this might work. Just my dad interviewing pop stars. Could that be a good thing? Anyway, it didn't work. There was nothing there really. But they got on really well. And they, because Frank is a great fan of, um, he loves France, southern France. He loves touring around those big long roads. Yeah. He's written quite a few songs about that region, including a song about a town called Chateau Neuf du Pape right. near Avignon, where there's a particularly delicious wine that is made that Frank Black loves. And my dad loves that region as well. Like that is. He was a wine expert. <laughs> yeah. And so they ended up just talking about wine and cognac and French roads. And they got on like a house on fire. And okay. every now and again, I would prod my dad and say, like, ask him about, you know, I'd, I'd sort of prompt him to ask really boring route one questions like, yeah, what's it like having the Kurt Cobain seal of approval or, you know, did you ever meet so and so? And. So Frank Black would kind of brush off those questions like, ah, that's boring. Let's talk more about wine. But it was really cool. It was so exciting. I loved it. And then afterwards, of course, I think my dad got a kick out of it as well because he was expecting some, you know, yob, scary rocker. If you listen to the Pixies, you're not really expecting this kind of urbane wine expert to turn up. And that's what he got. So, yeah, it was really fun. Everyone had a good time. Well, that's what I love. I think it, it makes sense that it didn't quite work because the conceit is that you're putting, you know, a posh British man, a stereotypical posh br- British older man in with a rock and roll star and you see how they clash and then they just sit there talking about fr- French wine and it's like, ah, this isn't how we expected them to clash. This this, this wasn't the, the laugh that we were after. Yeah, exactly. But it was good because it... it 
began a relationship between myself and Frank Black that lasts to this day. I'm hoping to get him back on the podcast fairly soon, in fact. Well, yeah. back. I've never had him. I've never spoken to him on the podcast, but I'm hoping that I'm going to be able to figure it out quite soon. But yeah, and, and so we ended up doing a music video for him. He asked us to do a video for a track called Dog Gone with him and the Catholics. Yes. And because he wasn't around... Joe came up with the idea of putting my dad in it. And so we filmed this whole thing with my dad um, as a kind of prophet of doom with a sandwich board saying the end is nigh. Handing out leaflets outside Brixton Station. And um, it worked really well. My dad was a good sport. So he was sort of, we were filming him on a long lens. And um, he was just going up to people and and being a bit of a maddie. And people would would kind of treat him like a, a crazy old guy. You know, you get those sort of prophets and yeah. um, guys ranting outside Brixton Tube sometimes. Yeah. And so my dad was like, a, he was supposed to be a sort of posh version of that and put up with quite a few people, n- not abusing him badly, but mild abuse. Yeah. And he was a really good sport about it. I love it. Well, um, speaking of kind of, of, of strange m- meetings of people, on the Christmas special of this year, Joe, you know, famously disappointedly rounded up his 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 Tom Cruise story. <laughs> but there was an extra bit because of a party for Simon Pegg's fiftieth, and I was there as well. And it was really I I hardly like you and I didn't get to say hello. Part of that was I was f- frozen by the strangeness of the whole situation. So I thought as we were both there, we may as well talk about that a little bit. How did you find it? Because it was it was a wonderful event, but you knew it was going to be, as you mentioned in the podcast, there was all sorts of rumours of who was going to turn up. And part of that was because on the invitation, it had the, the, the rulings for if you're driving, the rulings for if you're getting a cab, and the rulings if, for if you're coming by helicopter. Um, which kind of suggested <laughs> that it's like, oh, this isn't a normal, this isn't a normal party. But yeah. yeah, how did you find the evening? We came by elephant, <laughs> and um, <laughs> on sitting on a inside a small pagoda on the back of a beautiful <laughs> Indian elephant. Um, it was great. That was the last great time I had outside in the world. It was just before all this happened, right? Yeah, it was about two two or three weeks before the first lockdown. Yeah. And we were hearing about COVID and it was spreading and it was reaching the point where people were saying, this is looking like it's going to become a pandemic. But I don't know about you, but my default setting is denial for most yeah. of these things. Yeah. So I was like, no, it'll be fine. I was giving it the full Donald Trump. Yeah, yeah it'll, it'll blow over. We'll be fine by Easter. <laughs> <laughs> so... I didn't think about it much, but now looking back, yeah, it's sort of poignant. It was such fun. It was all the fun of a high-end star-studded party, the kind of thing that I personally used to fantasize about when I first got into TV and think, wow, these are going to be great. But then, of course, you go to a couple of those things, film premieres and the like, after-show parties, and you very quickly discover they're a load of shit and boring and (laughs) depressing and you usually get way too hammered because you're nervous and you, you're sort of drifting around on your own. You don't really know anyone. And you stay too long and drink too much and go home and feel bad and can't figure out why you didn't have a good time. And 
It's all, it's crap. And then you learn not to go to them. But this was different because I knew so many people there. Simon is a real old friend. And, you know, Edgar Wright was there and Joe was there and the League of Gentlemen and lots of lovely comedy people were there that I've known for a long time. So it was different. But as well as them, there were these weird A-listers drifting around. There was Tom Cruise and Julian uh, Anderson and Henry Cavell and who else was it? Well, you know, I guess people like... Olivia Coleman, she's a big A-lister, but yeah. again, she's someone that I knew back in the day a little bit. Yeah. So it was really fun. It wasn't that high-stress environment. It was just really nice to see people you hadn't seen for a while. And it was uh, it was low-key and it was just, you know, and there were lots of Simon's old friends there and family. So it, it didn't have the feel of a kind of up-itself showbiz party at all. Joe Wiley was DJing and she was playing really good kind of party music Everyone was dancing. It was great fun, didn't you find? Yeah, yeah, I loved it. I, was, I, I never go to that kind of thing, so I completely agree on the strangeness of those type. Like I've, I'd, I'd been to a few early on and felt completely out of place, but this, as you say, because it was so private, it wasn't a here's a celebrity event to have photos at, essentially. It was a private gathering of friends. It felt completely normal, and I, I, I was DJing after Joe Wiley and just... Again, because, as you say, it was the last thing before the world changed completely, it just now feels even more like a strange dream of looking out as you're DJing and seeing Olivia Coleman dancing with Gillian Anderson and Michael Smiley as Henry Cavill is passing across the dance floor to, to get to the bar or whatever. It's like the, the weirdest of situations. But then also, as mentioned in your podcast, the Tom Cruise effect. Like, yeah. genuinely, the period he was in the room the feeling changed completely, despite the fact he was absolutely lovely and absolutely friendly and warm with everyone. But just the presence of someone that big and that famous or notorious in a way, because he is famous for all of the amazing things he's done. But then there is also the mystery of the Scientology stuff and all these other Mm -hmm. things and and how's he going to be. And, yeah, I just remember him coming in and I was talking to, I can't think, think who I was, I was talking to, and they just said, don't turn around, but Tom Cruise has just walked in. <laughs> because it had been an ongoing joke of, no, he won't, but imagine if he did. Um, yeah. So how 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 did you find your brief interaction with him? Because, again, I didn't spot that bit, but hearing on the podcast that it was almost f- forced upon you, but that's probably f- f- for the best, right? I wouldn't have had the guts to walk up off my own volition, but because it was kind of, no. look, you've got to meet Adam. How was that? (laughs) It was good. It was fun. I mean, yeah, I could have lived without it, to be honest with you, because as you say, he he's an extraordinary presence. He's got a great deal of charisma and indeed personal charm, as it turns out. But on the other hand, he does choose to occupy this strange realm that I personally wouldn't necessarily like to be involved with. And that's even apart from the whole Scientology stuff and whatever else. You know, I was listening to Louis Theroux's podcast the other day and he was talking to Leah Rimini on there and she was talking about her relationship with Tom Cruise and it's weird stuff. You know, if half the things they say about some of the more extreme aspects of Scientology and the coercive aspects, if those things are true, 
then that's depressing. And it's depressing that he's involved with it. But I don't know. And I'm sure I'll never be in a position to really know. Anyway, in the meantime, I don't feel as if I want to make a judgment about him in that way. I'm not in a position to make a judgment about him. Instead, I'm responding to what he means to me, which is years and years of films that I've really enjoyed, you know. I mean, he's been in a lot of good films. He's been in some bad ones. He's been in some amazing ones, though. But he's been in a load of really good ones, yeah. Like, mm. he's a proper old-school film star. Yeah. So I was responding to that, really, and I guess I was trying to keep my shit together and just, it's just a surreal experience staring into his Tom Cruise laser eyes. Yeah, and him staring back, again, like, one of his masterful things is is that it's said that he, he sees you. Yeah. He really sees you as he's talking to you. And that's, again, it's powerful shit. Even if it's a a, a kind of a, a circus trick of sorts, it's, it's, it works. Yeah. I heard people talking about Bono in the same sort of way, saying that he has got an incredible memory for details. If he's met someone in passing before, yeah. then... He can summon up. Oh, you know, how's your how's your mum Beryl? How's she doing? Amazing. She had some sciatica yeah. and something, and they met like ten years ago. I mean, that might be just the account of one person who got lucky and and had a memorable story that they told Bono. And actually, most of the time, Bono doesn't know what's going on. But um, <laughs> I don't know. Those those tricks really work, especially yeah. if you're super famous. Most people just assume, well, you know, you've met so many people. Yeah, I can't possibly. Have registered, and if you get some glimmer of recognition, even if it's fake, it's like, oh, you do remember me. I'm special to you, and yeah. you're very special to me. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Well, I mean, and another thing that I, I, I was excited to talk to you about is kind of more, more meetings of of insanely famous people. Um, but these ones were kind of more organised, I guess, or more expected. But when I opened my podcast app and saw a new a new Buxton podcast, I was like, all right, have a look. And then I saw Paul McCartney's name on there, and that was just mind-blowing. The idea of Paul McCartney on a podcast, for some reason, that, that, that doesn't seem to make any sense or mesh. It seems like two, two different parts of reality. But yeah, how was that to prepare for it? I mean, in the intro, you spoke about how it was a weird one because you're a Beatles fan, but not necessarily you know, uh, uh, an, an, an avid f- follower or an obsessive. But then still, it's still Paul McCartney, <laughs> like regardless of how into or not into the Beatles you are, it's still Paul McCartney. So how was that to get the offer and then to, ch- to chat with Macca? Well, I mean, it was great, really. You know, the Tom Cruise thing was was just a strange blip. And I was sort of relieved when it was over. I sort of realized, well, after talking to him for about six minutes or something, I thought, well, it's, this has been great. He's, he's been nice. He's just email, just emailing me saying, Adam, please don't talk about me on the podcast like that. Can't believe you mentioned the Scientology thing again. Come on, man. You're better than that. Tomcat. Anyway. Um, but, after, you know, after about six minutes or something, I was like, Okay, I'm going to go because I'm. Uh, it's going to go downhill if I stay any longer. So I said, "Bye, thanks." It's finding the reason to, 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 uh, to escape, isn't it? I, I had that with yeah, Henry exactly. Cavill on the night as well. Again, I was d- 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 delighted to meet him. Couldn't yeah. take my eyes off what a perfect human he is, from his face to his, his rippling biceps. 
but I was glad I already had things in my hand and was leaving so I could go, okay, yeah. now's my time to stop hassling you and leave you alone. Exactly. I don't want to have to make you be the one to say, can you go now? <laughs> That's right. Are we finished? Yeah. And you and you feel sort of like, look at me, I'm mature. I'm not I'm not starstruck. Bye. I don't need you. I'm fine. See you, Tom yeah. Cruise. Bye. Anyway, with Macca, it was a bit different because I'd been hunting Macca for a long, a long a time. Yeah. And I had met his actually I hadn't met, but you know, I'd been in touch with his some of his people. Um, because they also deal with other artists who I'd had on the podcast in the past, you know, and I'd always said, don't suppose there's any chance of, uh, getting Paul is there. And they'd all, and they'd go like, well, yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe, you know, we'll ask and you, know, you never know all that kind of thing. And I was thinking, oh, that's never going to happen. And I'm not a very, I'm not very pushy in that way. Like some people are really good at just yeah. emailing and emailing and ringing and calling and being a real pain in the ass. And actually it, tends to pay off that approach even though it's obnoxious in some ways but I, I just can't do it so when finally it looked as if it might happen when he, you know he had this new album I just got really excited and I thought oh my god this is actually looking as if it's going to happen now so then I immersed myself in Paul world and then as soon as you think that maybe you will speak to this person I immediately started getting negative worries about it and thinking oh yeah but well maybe you know he's probably the trick with him is going to be getting through the the wall of paul yeah and you know he's been doing this for so long he's got a million and one techniques for not really giving anything away and not really connecting with the people interviewing him not because he doesn't like them or want to connect but just because it's not practical emotionally when you're yeah. that famous and you're talking to that many people and you've had that kind of career, you know, you, you have to keep something for yourself. So why, you're not going to spill your guts on some podcast with some guy you've never met. <laughs> so I thought, well, so what's the point really just to be just to be an outlet for a load of anecdotes that he's told before and a kind of PR spin just to promote his new album, I suddenly sort of thought, no, I, I don't, maybe I don't want to talk to Paul McCartney. So I went through all this, you know, <laughs> yeah. and then eventually I would like, you know, get over yourself. It's Paul McCartney and I'll take, you know, secondhand anecdotes over nothing. And then I immersed myself in all his stuff. And actually one of the things that was really useful was that I wrote to friends of mine who I knew were fans. Yeah. And uh, texted a few people, and some of them got back to me, some of them didn't. But people like uh, the writer Nina Stibby and uh, comedian Mae Martin, people who I knew were quite big Macca obsessives, and then Louis Theroux, and, uh, and then people who weren't necessarily obsessive, but I just thought they'd have some funny questions like Alex Horn. And, and that, so they sent me some little things I could ask him. And that kind of took the pressure off me thinking about like, oh, I've got to ask a real clever question. Because the other thing I was worried about was uh, uh, the army of real Paul McCartney obsessives who yeah. would be tuning in for the first time, probably would never have heard my podcast before, would have no context for me and would just be sort of brutal with their critical opinion of how I handled Macca. The, the, the most regular reason... I turned down podcast guests is feeling underqualified in, in that way of thinking, right. I'd like to chat to them, 
but their fans are going to be so, so annoyed that I've only heard like two of their albums or something and just not an expert inside and out. So I completely understand that angle of it being, uh, yeah, the pressure. But I think actually on the whole, that doesn't matter. If you're, if you're yeah. approaching it in good faith and you're not pretending to be an expert, you're just sort of interested in them. I think that's fair enough. You know, yeah. sometimes that, sometimes a bit of detachment is good. Anyway, so I had to get through all those um, anxieties and, and in the end it was fine. And, um, I mean, I, di- I, I think I did prepare more than I would normally. Mm. I certainly had stuff because I could imagine that he probably wouldn't necessarily be chatty. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, uh, I'm, I'm excited to talk to you. I haven't talked to anyone. haven't had a long form <laughs> conversation with anyone for a while other than people on my podcast. I like doing it. I could talk to you for ages. Yeah. But, but with Macca, it's like, well, I'm okay. <laughs> it's, 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 it's the genius part of having questions from friends though. Cause that, that means that when yeah. you, if you feel you're hitting a wall with your style, you get to kind of do a reset and go, well, just a little break. Here's a question from, from Alex Hall or from Louis and things, things like that's that. Right. So that's really handy in that situation. Exactly. And if it goes badly, it's like, well, there you go. Louis threw's a bit of a dick. <laughs> what am I going to do? That's not my fault. Yeah. Sorry. But no, they weren't, they weren't dicks, obviously. They were really nice questions. And actually, they, they all managed to unlock something really, yeah. really nice, especially towards the beginning. Nina Stibby just asked, what food does he like? So that gets you on a little, he started talking about bagels with hummus and things like that. And then Alex Horn said, you know, what, I, I, what do you think about when you're in bed? I think about my dog curled up downstairs. And then he started talking about, what he was reading and reading before bed and then TV and comedy and watching Would I Lie to You? Yeah. The TV section b- b- blew me away at the start like when he's talking about Homes Under the Hammer and, and, and things yeah. like that and storage <laughs> wars. And I'm like, again, things that don't seem to exist in the same universe as Macca. And That's just right. imagine him sat at home just, yeah, or watching away was, was mind-blowing. And again, that's things that if it was an ultra fan you wouldn't have got to any of that because it would have been the the middle eight in 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 this, you know and it's like no i want to know what maccas are watching just sat at home with his his feet and his thumbs up and it was yeah, yeah. it's beautiful no it was i mean it was it, it the trick i thought was to try and get a balance because i didn't want i didn't want it to be entirely trivial because there were genuinely things I was interested in. And, you know, I, I, I have heard him talking about many of the things that we spoke about, many of the things that I asked him. But still, you, you just want to hear it one more time. You want to yeah. hear, like, what did you think when the whole Paul is dead thing was happening? It's like, that is nuts. And that I wanted to ask him in the climate of, of fear and paranoia and conspiracy theories that we're in now as well. You know, in, in that context, I wanted to hear him talk about that. Yeah. And I wanted to hear him talk about this feeling of living through the end times that some people feel we're in and, you know, having survived the sixties and lived through the sixties and all those upheavals and all those apocalyptic events that took place in the sixties. Yeah. What did it feel like? And actually, you know, his boundless optimism was really, it really cheered me up personally. Yeah. yeah. I was talking to my wife about it and she was like, 
Yeah, well, it's probably quite easy to be optimistic when you're one of the richest people in the world. But I don't think it's as simple as that. I really don't. I think, yeah, okay, fair enough. He is insulated from many, many things that make life difficult for a lot of people. But still, you can still be a very rich person and be a fucking miserable twat. Yeah. And um, be a kind of corrosive presence in the world. And he said himself, you know, he's just lucky to have grown up in a a very upbeat, positive environment, whereas Lennon grew up in something far more austere and lonely. Yeah, completely. I think with all of these conversations and stuff, it's it's a balance of going in to get what you think the audience will want and just what you want to have a conversation about. Because, again, you may, you may well have heard Macca talk about meeting Bob Dylan before, but... To have Paul McCartney tell you about his different experiences with Bob Dylan, yeah, how could you pass up on that opportunity? It's just, yeah, that's a mind a mind blowing thing. I love it. Yeah, and and you know, and on Zoom as well, you're like, he's in his room and he's got all his singles on in racks behind him, and on the wall he's got a photograph of the Beatles with Muhammad Ali. Yeah, and it's just like, wow, this is crazy. And I did ask, I was like. Well, okay, it looks as if this interview is going to happen. I may as well take the piss. I was like, is there any chance he can play something? And then that's when you start meeting the, the um, you know, security wall. They're like, no. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously not. Definitely not. <laughs> um, I mean, well, speaking of, of, the, of the isolation and the, the opportunity to chat to people on the podcast, has your relationship with your podcast changed in these times um the episodes you did with joe after after your mum passed Mm. tragically was just such a beautiful conversation and display of of emotion and grief and i'm it's something i'm finding particularly fascinating in this period i i had to attend a funeral over over a, a webcam and it was the, the strangest of things, but it's made me realise that I think one of the reasons that we tend to to gather to grieve is that grief observed feels more real, whereas grief isolated feels as if it's not kind of happened. It's not. It's if a tree falls in the in the forest and so on and so forth. Do you feel that the podcast has been kind of helpful f- f- for that, even in the intros and outros, to get to to talk to someone when? you know, you're very restricted on who you can talk to in in real life, I guess. Yeah, man, it's definitely been helpful. That talk with Joe was was, uh, really important to me. So my ma died at the end of May in 2020, having sort of gone downhill during the lockdown. And um, anyway, obviously it was painful and it was a surprise. It was a shock. You know, I didn't think, I didn't expect it. She didn't die of COVID. She was already ill, but she really, she really took a nosedive in the in the lockdown, and but kept on telling me like, "Oh, I'm fine, I'm fine." But when I finally, I got too freaked out, and I went to go and get her, and she really wasn't fine anyway. Yeah. But um, talking to Joe was was good, yeah, because I don't know, it's difficult. I was reading a book the other day called Chatter by a, a psychologist researcher guy called Ethan Cross and he says in one of the things he talks about is a the concept of co-rumination where sometimes if you feel unhappy if something bad has happened to you you most people have the compulsion to tell someone else 
and you know a problem shared is a problem halved and you just want a bit of sympathy and you just want to talk to someone about it but he makes the point that actually you have to be careful because if people just encourage you to rake over the trauma and the upset then that's actually often quite counterproductive mm. what you need is a balance a fine balance of what he calls the spock response i.e. a very coldly logical response yeah. like okay this has happened to you well maybe you should do this and deal with it this it, way it doesn't always help and and my partner can confirm that because i'm very right. much the spot spot response guy and at times that's not what you need at all but again it's that's right it's the balance I'm spot the as well in those <laughs> moments because you because i always just assumed because the other response is the kirk response all mm. heart all yeah. kind of right. uh, you know, you know, sort of saying, oh, I can't believe it. That's happened to you. Oh, my God. Like, what was it like? You know, how did it happen? You're, you're, you're sort of getting, you're, you're indulging them and you're encouraging them to keep sort of reliving the, the bad thing. Yeah. And a little bit of that is okay, but it needs to be balanced. According to this guy, Ethan Cross, that I'm reading, it needs to be balanced with a bit of Spock and a bit of practical cognitive... Uh, What's the word? Life hack? No, you know, pro tips. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so so that's what Joe. I felt like that's what Joe provided because there was no way Joe was going to go full full sympathy with me because that's not what he's like. Yeah. His his deep down, he's just looking for an opportunity to laugh and to take the piss and to break the awkward, you know, silence or whatever. And that's that's what made it so perfect. Is it wasn't a, a maudlin kind of. But it was it was respectful at the same time. There was a really good podcast recently. A comedian called Theo Vaughn has got a podcast called This Past Week, and he had this guy called Chris. I can't remember his surname. Um, who's the first guy with Down syndrome to complete an Ironman marathon? Right. And it's the perfect combination because he's wonderfully respectful, but Theo is also a comedian, and he makes j- jokes with Chris, and that's so much more enjoyable to hear. Like at one point they're talking about going out. It's going to sound bad out of context, but they're talking about going on a double date and going out drinking. And and Theo has suggested some champagne, but Chris wants some scotch and all sorts of other stuff. And, and Theo jokes, yeah. By the end of that, I'll be Down syndrome, and or I'll have Down syndrome. And again, it's just it's beautiful because you see Chris l- 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 love it and laugh, knowing that. M- that's how mates j- joke. Yeah, but no one has ever treated or, or so many few so few people treat him like that. Who just have a joke that's a bit inappropriate and kind of a bit insulting. Yeah, and that's what I loved about the podcast with Joe as well was his willingness at times to to make a bit of a joke or to have a little dig or whatever, ra- yeah. rather than simply go, "Hey man, are you okay?" kind of thing. It was that perfect balance. That's right. Yeah. No, it was good. It was really cathartic. And um, he also, <laughs> if you haven't heard the podcast and you're listening to this, then you may not know that halfway through, I went to take a leak and he was on the other side of the Zoom call. And then when I listened back to the audio, I heard that he had done a massive fart while I was out. <laughs> and um, and actually, he came back and I think he said, like, oh, I just farted or something. And he's like, you cut that out though, right? And I was like, yeah, yeah. But then when I listened back, it really made me laugh. 
And uh, so I emailed and I said, do you mind if I don't cut it out? It's quite funny. And he's like, yeah, okay, cool. But then some people got really upset. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it's sort of. It's always hard. Do you find like sometimes when people get in touch with – it's hard to tell – Sometimes when people get in touch with criticism, like whether it's sort of bants, whether they're really genuinely upset or whether they're talking to you like a mate because they feel like, oh, you're my mate. I listen to you on the podcast. So you're not. So you'll understand if I say, oh, I was really disappointed with that episode. You really shat the bed on that one. Yeah. And you're like but the amount of probably friendly people I've blocked on social media, because, again, I, yeah. I, I don't know the tone and. For my own mental health, I'm not willing to take the risk. That's the thing. <laughs> I'm going to go, yeah. okay, goodbye. <laughs> I, yeah, I can't tell right. if this is a, a, a pally thing or not, but y- you're gone. Yeah. yeah, top tip for anyone communicating with a uh, a person that they haven't actually met before, uh, <laughs> keep it formal. And then, <laughs> you know, once friendly relations are established, then you can start with the bands. But don't yeah. kick off with the bants, especially if it sounds superficially incredibly negative. Anyway, um, there was a few people that were like, "How you, I wish you hadn't included that bit of Joe farting. Because people are very particular about sounds in podcasts, yeah. fair enough. And some people have kind of uh, misophonia, don't they? Which is yeah. an actual fear of certain sounds, eating sounds and drinking sounds, things like that. So I would think that a kind of squelchy Cornish fart would probably have finished some of those people off. But I really wanted to keep it in. When we started off doing the... the I do dr- drunk casts every now and then, and we've been doing them over oh, yeah. Zoom a little bit as well, and they've been great fun, but the early ones of them, I honestly think the reason that they got so big was engagement on the posts on social media because there were so many people saying, why are you fucking eating crisps and why are you drinking and why are you doing this and that? And I was like... I'm not going to delete any of that because it's getting the the posts seen by more and more people because engagement is what, as we see from the um, the right wing me- media these days, that if it's positive or negative, it means more eyes are going to be on it. So I, ge- I genuinely think that's why that happened because we yeah. would get drunk and eat crisps into mic. So, but yeah, people are very <laughs> sensitive on these things and ro- rightfully so at times. Sure, fair enough. Uh, but no, you were talking about like the whole the whole thing of of how this period has changed the relationship mm. that you have when you're when you're kind of podcasting and when you're having these Zoom conversations. And it is weird how two years ago, I just had a blanket policy of, no, I only do face-to-face interviews in the same room with someone. Exactly the same. Exactly the same, yeah. And I tried it, I think I tried it once with Bill Hader. And um, I thought, well, he's such a big star. He's such a cool guy that I can't say no. And okay, I'll try it remotely. And it was fine, but it just wasn't the same as being in the room with someone at all. And I thought, well, I don't think I'm going to do that again. And then when circumstances gave me no option, I was like, okay, well, here we go. But actually it is, I think that it's sort of, it it can work, it turns out. It really can. It's a slightly different thing. But you still can connect. Yeah. Has it has it broken your heart at all? Because it's killed me. Because there was the the one that sticks out to me is pre these times, I turned down a Tina Turner on the podcast, no. um, and I wanted her on. I said I'd fly to where she is. I'll do anything. But again, it was that exact thing of we need to be face to face. Otherwise, it's it's not going to work. It's just going to be a kind of another 
a press interview and I was going to be flying out there, but then it, it got cancelled at the last minute. And the first thing after I got a few of these Zoom ones under my belt and realised that they're absolutely fine was I could have just Zoomed Tina or, or, or Skyped at the time or whatever. So have there, have there been any that you've thought back to your strict policy of only face-to-face and now kind of going, oh, man, I could maybe. <laughs> um, Not many, actually. I mean, it's it's still quite a struggle, I find. Maybe it's because I'm disorganized, but actually just pinning down interviews is a real yeah. pain in the ass. I don't know about yeah. you, but yeah, completely. it's really hard. <laughs> um, so, no, I don't think, I, I, I think, I don't think about like all the uh, catches I might have had if I'd been a bit more flexible. I'm just concentrating on what I can actually line up that's uh, realistic. The other thing is... Um, you know, even when you do get stuff dangled in front of you, it gets snatched away. Hmm. Like, I was very close to talking to David Byrne. Oh, wow. He was being dangled around when he was promoting American Utopia, the concert film. Yeah. Which is amazing. And I saw it before Christmas. No, when was it? It was sort of September, October time. Yeah, I'd say October, yeah. Yeah, and they said, do you want to talk to David Byrne? I was like, Yes. I love that guy. He's amazing. Talking Heads up, one of my favorite bands ever. And I love David Byrne's stuff and his solo stuff. And I know a lot about him. I was like, this is going to be great because I, I don't need to do that much research. Yeah. I've watched his concert movie. It's brilliant. He's like on the totally top form of his life. This is going to be amazing. And then it all just evaporated. And actually, I did do a lot of research in the end. I I found out he'd written a load of books that I hadn't read. So I read all those and I spent quite a long time getting ready. And then at the last moment, it's like, oh, no, he's not going to do it. So I thought, oh, okay. And I told a friend of mine and they're like, yeah, but you should complain. (laughs) You should because you've done a load of research. You put a load of time in. That's like your valuable time that you could charge for. Yeah. Yeah. That's not how it works, though. I don't think it's so common, isn't it? It does. It does happen that these those and it's always the the, the biggest of the names that are there yeah. and then gone just as quickly. I mean, that leads kind of nicely onto Ramble book, and we've been going for fifty minutes, so I won't take up up to, uh, too much of your time. But how's it been releasing a book in all of this? Because it's such a weird one because it was kind of documented across the life of the podcast that you'd been working on it a long time. Yeah. You'd hit walls, <laughs> you'd stopped, you'd started. So to fucking finally get it out and then a global pandemic. Yeah. How's that how's that felt or been? It worked out in a way because it meant that I I um I ended up doing the audiobook before yeah. the physical thing was released. Yeah. Because originally it was supposed to come out in May 2020, I mean, originally it was supposed to come out in like May 2018 or something, but I missed, <laughs> in the end, I missed four deadlines. And finally, it was supposed to come out May 2020. Then the pandemic happened. They pushed it back to September. And I just thought, what? September? I was like, well, I can do the audiobook though. I'm all set up. I can do that fine, just here. And they said, yeah, okay. Because I was, I was kind of expecting some pushback from them, like, oh, no, because we've got a whole thing that's coordinated and you can't do one without the other and it'll affect the sales of this and blah, blah, blah. But actually, they were just like, no, that's fine. You go ahead. So I did it myself. I had a really good producer who I Zoomed with remotely and um, 
good editors and actually it worked out great. Yeah. It was really fun to do the audio book. And I think the audio book probably did maybe better than it would have done otherwise for coming out before the physical thing. But um, yeah, the physical release was, was a thoroughly muted affair <laughs> when that happened finally in yeah. September. Because by that time, after lockdown one, there were so many books. It was just this tsunami of publishing that happened yeah. uh, in September of 2020. And I got totally buried beneath it, you know. But I always feel like I can never quite understand when people get gutted about like, oh, you know, opening weekend for the book or the album or the film or whatever is a disaster. It's like, yeah, but really, who cares? I mean, I know the studio or the publisher or the record label care, but that, you know, it's it's not going anywhere. It's lives in the world now and you can um, connect with it any time. And I hope that later this year I'm going to go out and finally do some shows in support of the book and read some bits and pieces and read out some new stuff and have a kind of nice communal Q&A experience with audiences, hopefully in not totally distanced theatres. Yeah, I love it. So, you know, I'm not, it's not like it's gone away. It's kind of the, the indie band outlook versus the major label outlook that the major label yeah. it is it's that first week it's the chart position whereas the, the indie band knows we've got the album now we can tour and sell it for the next two years or whatever that's you, right you know, rather than this first week thing it's like no now we need to to get those those sales ourselves and yeah it makes perfect sense yeah exactly and plus i'm not the kind of person that is uh, you know i'm someone that comes to things about five years late anyway yeah. <laughs> yeah. so I'm fine for everyone else to be like that with me. Yeah. Uh, one of my f- favourite things was hearing of you and Joe and Louis and your friends at school because as much as you may not have thought it at the time, th- you guys were the exact people I wanted to be at school because you were, were, were doing stuff and p- p- putting on shows. It was beautiful to kind of see early on the relationship between you and Joe because you were clearly a leading man, loads of talent, but zero self-confidence. And Joe, you kind of didn't know at that point if he had any talent at all, but had loads of confidence and was like, oh, we'll just put it on. We'll just do it. And all the the fears that would stop you from doing things, Joe was the perfect counter to that, to just go, nah, let's just go and do it. It will be fine. And it kind of sounds like most of the time it was fine. Save a few gigs here and there that didn't go amazingly but most of the time it did you just kind of the fact that you got out there and did it made it work so yeah how was that to kind of relive I guess and and analyze your relationship then from through the 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 glasses of now it was nice that part was nice the hard parts of writing my book which is a sort of a memoir really because I haven't excuse me will you can you cut some of this stuff no way (laughs) (laughs) don't make me sound like a belchy old guy i'm I'm gonna edit in joe's farts (laughs) (laughs) um that wasn't a real fart listeners it was fine because uh you know so 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 basically you know if you don't know that much about me i haven't had one of those lives that 
people are reading the book and going, when's he going to get to that bit? Oh, I want to get to the Oscar winning part. Oh, when does he marry that amazing woman that he had the spectacular divorce from? No, my life has been more uneventful and more sort of lived in the margins. And so I talk mainly about my relationships and I talk about my relationship with my dad a great deal, as you said. And that's sort of the central motif of the thing. But a lot of that is quite heavy. I mean, I tried really hard to make it fun heavy, like mm-hmm. interesting to read and occasionally funny and never make it like, oh, this is going to, this is very hardcore, depressing, painful stuff. But even so, it was, some of it was tough to, to write. And, you know, you're, it's, it's kind of like what I was saying before about, rehashing and reliving painful moments. I don't know how healthy it is, really. You know, it's okay maybe if you're doing it with a therapist who is uh, being careful about maintaining the Spock-Kirk balance. But if you're just there on your own in your nutty room, thinking back to your dad on his deathbed and all the things that made you unhappy about your relationship and you're just kind of tapping it out, it's dark and it's sad. And, it, and it's hard and you sort of think, why am I doing this? This is a weird thing to do, to advertise all my hang-ups and sadnesses to people that I don't know. And oh, it's a weird form of narcissism that I'm engaged in. Anyway, you're sort of, all this is churning around in your head and it's it's bleak sometimes. But then, so then writing about Joe, who was always, you know, my the nature of my relationship with Joe is, we didn't really talk about any of that. It's like that podcast, you know, it's like, yeah, he was sympathetic if bad things happened to a degree, but mainly he was just looking for the next opportunity to either fart or make a obnoxious comment in a funny way. So it was fun reliving that stuff and thinking back on it. And it certainly did make me feel very lucky that I bumped into someone like that. You know, so much of this is, is luck. And who you happen to be with at, at, at any point. And I could easily have just never met someone like Joe and, and just piddled around because, yeah, I did I did suffer from a lack of confidence. And I would never have done half the things that I did were it not for meeting someone with as much drive and uh, self-assurance as Joe. But I, I think in many ways, your lack of confidence has also fueled some of your creativity and... Again, I, I saw it loads in, in the writing, because particularly when you're talking about bands, there's some such beautifully written um, analysis and observation and description. And so, so often you can almost hear you getting a bit self-conscious of being too serious and wordy and slinging in a fart joke or a swear word or, or, or whatever else at the end. And that kind of makes it perfect, because, again, it is, it's, it is this beautiful analysis, but, but then also it's going... Look, we're not here for to get too serious and too heavy, and that's what kind of makes it work, I guess. Thanks, man. That is a really great compliment, and I appreciate it. That's such a nice thing to say. That's exactly what I hoped for and was worried that I missed the mark sometimes, especially talking about Bowie sometimes. I felt like, hmm, maybe if I had another chance, I'd go back and edit some of this stuff. But Or, or Bowie is the second person whose relationship is keyed to the... The book or your relationship with the book is about your relationship with your father and your relationship yeah. with Bowie's career, essentially, because it is it and it is it's equally turbulent. It's up and down. There's there's yeah. good there's good times and there's 
there's bad times, you know? Well, it's it's Bowie in the 80s. That's the thing. Yeah. It was be- becoming a Bowie fan in the 80s was a strange thing because you would, you know, you're suddenly exposed to this incredible wealth of talent and creativity from his albums in the 70s. Meanwhile, Bowie in the 80s is unfolding and it's a very different proposition. So I was trying to sort of talk about some of that. But yeah, I'm, if any of the enthusiasm about the other stuff like bands and and you know people like pixies and talking heads if any of that came across then i'm really glad it really did and and i got ridiculously excited at at the brief excitement of about prefab sprout and the reason for that is i'm no expert at all but i've recently become obsessed with the king of of rock and roll and how oh yeah how confused and overlooked a, a song it is because my brother was kind of breaking down the actual story of it and a lot of people will will know it's the hot dog jumping frog albuquerque song and that chorus is a a fictional chorus in the song because it's about the song is a for anyone who doesn't know and again i've heard the song a million times and hadn't realized but the song is about a failed old rocker and having kind of a pop hit and then having to continue touring. And that hot dog jumping frog is the chorus of his pop hit, his one-hit wonder. So it's a song about an artist having a one-hit wonder that then kind of became a one-hit wonder in the real world. But then when you listen to to the song, it's so beautifully written with some a load of Elvis references because of Elvis's kind of rise and fall. And things like, at the start, he says, I'm the king of rock and roll completely. And that's saying that I'm the absolute king of rock and roll. But by the end, when he's kind of a washed up old man, he repeats, I'm the king of rock and roll completely. But at that point, it's kind of saying that that's all I am. I chased to become this. And now there's nothing more to me. All I am is the mm. king of rock and roll and nothing. I've, n- I've not got anything past that. And I always just thought it was the hot dog jumping frog song that was nonsense. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. So yeah, that that's was... great, man. I didn't know I that none of that had occurred to me. And hearing you say that makes me want to go back and revisit it. I love stuff like that. Go back and listen, man. Honestly, there's certain bits that now bring a tear to my eye, having realised the kind of the darkness of the. It's a, it's kind of a three part story of him aiming to be there and being at the top, and then yeah, at the end, yeah. it's, it's mad. He's a genius, Paddy Macaloon. Yeah, from Prefab Sprout. Have you ever approached him to talk on the podcast? No, no, I haven't. That'd be a a, a, a great one. Uh, while it comes to mind again, you talked earlier about uh, li- listening to music podcasts recently. There's mm. a podcast called Off the Beat and Track that I think is the most underrated a music podcast. A, f- a friend of mine hosts it, but the guests he's had on are amazing, and it's essentially a desert island discs, but kind of indie, and it's it's going through. The first song you danced to in a club, the first song you you fell in love to, and things like that. And it's really, yeah, there's some amazing episodes on that. Cool. I'm going to listen to that tonight. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll start t- t- to wrap things up. I mean, you, you touched upon s- some of, or a fear of the heaviness in Ramble Book. And I think there is some heaviness and darkness because you are open about what you see as the failings of 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 your father but then you're also open about the failings of you as a father um mm-hmm. and that can be equally moving but i think all of that pays off in those moments where the 
successes as a father come through and they are like with with your dad some of them are the the beautiful moments when you stop being annoyed at him in the Adam and Joe show and kind of realized he was doing really well and he was being professional and some of the moments when you know he takes your hand I, I won't give any spoilers but the moment that genuinely was my favorite moment in the whole book was such a small moment and it was between are you and your son in the car when he was playing Q-tip and <laughs> just the, 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 the line, someone's tr- trying not to smile, just summed it, it just, it told that whole story so beautifully of, of father and son, of being the, wanting to be the cool dad, but every dad has to go through a period of being the shit dad and having that moment of, of pulling it through. So for that alone, yeah, it's man. just... It's a wonderful thing. Well, you've identified the core of the whole book. Yeah. Yeah, that's the that's the kind of emotional raison d'etre for the whole thing. Yeah. I found it really hard to do the audio book. And actually I, I, I did a few um work in progress shows when I was writing the thing and I was in um Bristol and I read that chapter and uh I'd only recently written it. So if you haven't read the book, listeners, it's it's a chapter called Fun Dad, and it's me talking about my the whole my journey of becoming a father from basically being a totally selfish twat um, to suddenly having children. The, the the relation I could see of other friends of mine uh, when you're talking about obviously my wife when she got pregnant had to give up booze and parties, and I thought about yeah. joining her in that, but decided at least one of us should have fun, and I've genuinely. I've got friends whose relationships are now over because we were all witnessing going, one of you has had to stop. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe it should be more of a shared thing. <laughs> so there were some beautiful admissions there. Oh, man. I mean, that's uh, a story for another day. But, um, yeah, yeah it, it, as I said, it takes me about five years to really get to grips with any important situation, um, be it cultural, personal, political, whatever. <laughs> And that was one of them. Uh, I adjusted very, very slowly. But when suddenly you're, you know, and the thing for me was that I always fantasized about having, just being pals mm. you, you, with, the, with the children. I had that very immature outlook on it. My wife said, you know, what do you think about having children? I was like, yeah, fine. I can just be mates with them. And, um, you know, I'm fun. I'm like a fun guy. And... I like lots of music and films, and so we can just listen to music and watch films, and job done. (laughs) And so that's really the way I went into fatherhood. And that takes you so far, but by the time they're teenagers, it's very difficult to maintain a relationship on that basis alone. And so you find yourself just looking for tiny moments, tiny moments of connection that will sustain you. And so often there are, there are just long periods where you feel disconnected from from these people that you love so much and you would do anything for and and uh, you just can't get through to them and it's very painful. And it's also you, you you know you're trying to be you're trying to be a little bit grown up about it because you, you you're trying to remind yourself, well, look, this is just the way that power relations and relationships work. Yeah. It's probably nothing personal. When you're a teenager, you're expressing yourself in opposition to your parents. That is the natural way of things. So don't take it personally and be a whiny prick. 
But it's, I find it really hard. Yeah. And so when little moments come along, like that moment in the car where he's, you know, he's got his ear pods in or whatever, earbuds, what are they called? I'm sounding yeah. like a real old fart man that's now. that's fine. That works. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and, you know, you're sort of thinking like, wow, you've got, all, you've got your earbuds in the whole time nowadays because, you, because the idea of talking to me is just the stupidest, boringest idea in the whole world. And but every now and again, you're just like, well, I'm going to try and make conversation anyway. And you're going, what are you what are you listening to? And they always kind of roll their eyes and go, just something. You know, it's like nothing that you're going to understand, you stupid old fart man. And then you're like, well, just tell me, you know, I like music. Uh, have you heard of Q-Tip? It's like, yes, I've heard of Q-Tip, you patronizing little shite. You know, I was into Q-Tip before you were, you turd. I don't say any of that, obviously. <laughs> but then I go, what are you listening to? Uh, and he's like, oh, yeah, it's Tribe Called Quest. And I was like, have you heard Breathe and Stop? He hasn't heard Breathe and Stop. So I tell him to call it up on Spotify, and then we connect it to the car stereo. And he starts playing it. And, you know, it's that enjoyment of seeing, being with a person when you know they're going to dig a piece of music. You put it on and you're like, you are going to love this. This is a done deal. It's not like, oh, here's something I like. Maybe you'll like it. It's like, if you like that, you are going to totally love this. So I put that on. And then I put, and then I put Booker T and the MGs on, Green Onions. And I, I, I established that he'd never heard that. And I was like, oh, shit, you've never heard Green Onions. And I'm going to be with you at the moment that you first hear Green Onions, which is like the kind of Rosetta Stone of noise, as far as I'm concerned, or one of them. Yeah. And it's... Oh, sorry about this. I'm getting a lot of of emails. Let's put that away. That's fine. That's my wife saying, stop shitting on about yourself, will you? (laughs) Um, And then... I put on green onions, you know, and, and he's still, he's still in Kevin, the teenager mode and he's trying to be all grumpy and not show what he's feeling on his face, but I can see him nodding. And then I say like, what do you think? Uh, and he's like, yeah, it's pretty good. And he's got like a sort of little smile on his face. He can't stop himself. And so, yeah, I wrote about that and when I read it out in Bristol, I just started crying. It was just like someone had punched me. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. And I didn't, I wasn't ready for it because it, to me, it seemed like a fun moment. It's like, oh, you're just listening to Green Onions in the car with your kid. What's the problem? But then there's so much else bound up in it that when I read it out, it all occurred to me at, in the same moment. And I had to stop talking and the audience went all quiet. And they were really nice, actually. But I couldn't speak. And now I feel, you know, I'm 51 now. And um, it doesn't take much to set me off. I don't know if it's an age thing or if it was always in me just to be crying man. But it really doesn't take much to turn me into crying man these days. Yeah, and I'm, I'm similar. <laughs> I genuinely think what will have, have happened there as well, though, is when you were r- r- writing it, and this is just from having listened to the book, when you were writing it, you were Adam Buxton, incredibly self-doubting man, um, and, and and probably would have put scorn on it yourself. But when you were reading it that time, 
you were reading it from the outside and you weren't Adam mm-hmm. anymore. So you were getting to take in that, yeah, the beauty of the moment rather than, is this too much? Am I sharing too much? Is this boring people? And so on and so Like when you get to step away from these things is when you get to go, oh, this is why other people like some of the stuff I do or, or whatever else. This is why they see value in this because you're getting to kind of step outside of yourself and uh, and observe it. Yeah, that's a, I hadn't thought of it that way. But yeah, maybe you're right. Thing is, my dad was so down on displays of emotion. You yeah. Know? He was that generation. So I still have that hang up. I can't blame everything. I noticed when I was talking about the book and doing a little publicity for it last year, I noticed that I was developing this habit of offloading all my hang-ups and anxieties and prejudices onto my dad. I was like, oh, well, you know, my dad was uh, very uptight and he's very conservative. And so that's uh, that's why I'm like that in certain respects. And yeah, actually, I've got to own some of this stuff. To wrap things up then, how has it been as a long-time podcaster and as the son of, of a writer embarking on his first autobiography, essentially, um, started in 2016? But how's it felt to have Louis do both of those things um, just casually, <laughs> um, to take on both of those roles that mean the world to you and just turn up and go, I'm a podcaster also, I'm the son of a yeah. writer and I'm going to release an autobiography. <laughs> That's right. And not only that, but both the podcast and the book are going to just destroy yours uh, in terms of sales and critical response. Um, no, it's... It's something that I don't want to think about too hard because if I do, I become enraged. And um, there have been times when, well, I I don't know. I I think, again, I got to the point in late 2020 where I realized I had to start being a bit careful about just casually bad-mouthing Louis because in my mind, it's it's bants. I love Louis. We're good friends. We speak often. But I started to realize, like, oh, actually, not everyone realizes that. And it might yeah. just sound like I'm a horribly embittered <laughs> twat, <laughs> which is only partly true. I love it. Well, thank you very much for, for, for making the time. It's been a pleasure to, to, to catch up again. Hey, thanks, man. And, and can I say thank you as well on a personal note? You were one of the people who wrote me a very kind email after my mum died. And uh, uh, and you recommended some stuff that might cheer me up, and it did. Do you remember what it was? Oh, was it J- Joe Perra? There you go, yeah. Uh, J- Joe Perra talks to you, yeah, yeah. I just watched it at that time, and it was when I was kind of having a bit of an up-and-down period, and it's so gentle but so lovely and warm, and yeah. Yeah, it, was, it, it sort of calmed me down. I'm glad um, you enjoyed it. But it was really nice. You, you You completely nailed the right thing to say, and I really appreciate it. It's really nice to talk to you. Thank you very much, man. And again, thank you for taking the time. It's been lovely to have a catch up. And honestly, you've been saving me in all of this with the podcasts. We didn't even get to talk about the Robbie Williams one, but man, that I loved it. Controversial episode. It was so good because it, it wasn't someone I'd expect no. you to have on and you were both comfortable talking about that, <laughs> if you know yeah. what I mean. Loved it. <laughs> yeah, there was a bit of bants there. Well, thank you very much, man. I'll let you get back to your family or your or your or your quiet sh- sh- shed time, whichever you choose to 
use. Yeah, no, it'll be it's supper time now with my grumpy family and my sixteen year old caveman son staring off into the distance at the dinner table. <laughs> Brilliant. I love it. Well thank you, man. It's been bloody lovely. Take care of yourself. Bye. You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. That was Adam Buxton. Um, I hope you enjoyed that as much as we did. As previously mentioned, I'll be back on Friday with Asim Chowdhury. If you want to support the podcast, you can sign up to patreon.com slash Pip. It's a dollar a month, or it might have gone up to $1.50, I think. Patreon, I think, have increased the fees on everything. Um... But it's dirt cheap, and I don't really do much there. That's why it's so cheap. But every now and then, I'll pop up and arrange like a, a Patreon Zoom Zoom hangout. We did one the other week, and there was about I'm sure there was about fifty or sixty of you lot in there, and we had a really good chat and a hangout. I've also done one on ones before with the Patreon lot. So yeah, these things may come up if I think of them, but in general, it's just a way of supporting. You can also head to speechdevelopmentrecords.com and get any of my music or a, a, a lot of my music on vinyl. You can get merch. You can get Distraction Pieces podcast merch. You can get Distraction Pieces mugs, T-shirts, all sorts of good stuff. So, yeah, head over there. But, I mean, the most important takeaway is get yourself either reading or, or listening to, to Ramble Book because... I really loved it. As you will have heard, there's loads of bits that really touched me. Obviously, I was buzzing every time I picked something particularly relevant and Adam flagged that as me getting to the heart of it. Obviously, I felt like an, you know, a, a clever boy. So, but yeah, it's a really good book and I recommend it highly. Get that in your ears or in your eyes. I will see you on Friday. Ta-ta.